Since 1937, Ducks Unlimited has been the leader in waterfowl conservation with over 16 million acres of habitat conserved. DU supporters and volunteers have led the charge to fill the skies with waterfowl today, tomorrow, and forever. You too can play a role in leaving a legacy for the future of waterfowl hunting. To find an event near you or to join our volunteer team, go to www.ducks.org volunteer. Ducks Unlimited, conservation for a continent. Hello and welcome to the Standard Sportsman Podcast, where your hosts Brent Birch and Kaysen Short will discuss, debate, and detail trending topics within the sport of duck and goose hunting. Brent and Kaysen have over 80 years combined chasing ducks in Arkansas with a like-minded pursuit of leaving waterfowling better than they found it. Each week, you will hear impactful interviews and engaging guests guaranteed to make you a more informed and effective hunter-conservationist. Thanks for spending time with us today. Now, let us jump into today's show with the guys. Hey, everybody. This is Casey Short with the Standard Sportsman Podcast. Back for another episode today. Joined, as always, with my host, Brent Birch. Brent, how you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. Pretty good. Had a good little hunt this morning at uh, a historic Arkansas club here in the prairie, uh, kind of in those big ditch bottoms that people talk about. I went to Bull Sprig this morning and had a, had a really nice shoot. And they, uh, what's kind of interesting and kind of piggybacks off some of our previous episodes, is these guys have implemented uh, club-wide a 24 mallard limit which they're allowed to take up to eight guns but uh they, they stop at 24 even if they're really into them so uh just trying to make you know these birds stay with them you know november through january instead of yeah burning them out so yeah it was, it was fun it was a good little hunt and good to get in the woods that's my first time yeah that's really kind of putting your money where your mouth is. I can appreciate that. Uh, it's easy to stand on a soapbox and talk about what we should do, but when you actually start being conservative, that's, that's where it adds up. So that's cool. Yeah. Uh, brave in this mild El Nino weather here at Arkansas. <laughs> huh? Yeah, it was, uh, it was actually a little bit cool because the, the wind was out of the East this morning and blowing at a pretty good clip, but it's, it's, you know, it's 65 degrees now. So hopefully some cold weather's on the way. We'll see. Yeah. Well, we've got a, uh, we may have outkicked our coverage with our guest today. We've got a, a special one for everybody. So let's not waste any more of his time. Tell everybody who we got today. Yeah, we're uh, pretty excited. Uh, obviously, we get to visit with him quite a bit as uh, the roles we play with these directors advisory councils. But um, we've got our friend and and also leader of the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission, uh, Austin Booth. So, Austin, welcome to the Standard Sportsman. Thank you, guys. Very good to be here. Pig to Decoy has introduced the first motion goose decoy nearly 30 years ago, and they continue to push the industry today. Check out Higdon.com to see their current lineup, and check out the Foamville Decoys, one of my favorites. Seems like there's always somebody in my blind who's ready to water swat the next duck. Um, well, let's just uh, tackle the elephant in the room. You want to start with the big stuff first? Why not? <laughs> let's talk about what everyone else is talking about. Let's let's jump in with Dave Donaldson and and all the uproar there. That for for our guests that aren't familiar, uh, the Arkansas Game and Fish, uh, in particular Director Booth here, has taken a very hands on, very proactive approach in fixing some of our our GTRs, our Green Tree Reservoirs. Uh, that has come at the outcry of some of the public hunter because it's going to change 
some of their hunting opportunities and the way that is done. But for the health of the forest and and the resource in general, it's something that has to be done. So we're here to kind of discuss some of the opinions and misinformation that seems to be out there. So I guess uh, we'll just we'll dive into it. I'll ask the first thing. Um, you you hear a lot about it. It seems to be a lot of uh, comment on Facebook, everywhere else I go, that the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission just doesn't care if the GTRs ever flood again, that that they would prefer they stay dry so they can log it and they can harvest all the trees and sell all the timber. So what would you say to to those people, to that opinion? I would say it's categorically false. Not not true whatsoever. Uh, if you look at at uh, each of our Green Tree Reservoir renovation projects, and we have two that are underway right now and a handful of more uh, that are in the works, we are we are trying to take every uh, every measure that we possibly can to make sure that we're balancing both the long-term interests of the forest health, which is what the waterfowl um, love these these incredible treasures for, um, that we're balancing that with the long-term interests of the sportsmen. Um, and so, you know, I've been saying for two years now that that if we were walking away from Green Tree Reservoirs, we would be preserving the status quo uh, because that's the thing that's most certain um, to eradicate them in the future. We're not walking away from them. Um, and, you know, if you just look at Dave Donaldson, for example, we've been in design and engineering for almost two years now. And um, that's just one example of how it would not be taking this long if we were not going through every step that we possibly could to make sure that we're maximizing public access, not minimizing it. Yeah, that's I think that's what's really important um, to understand that, you know, this is a long play. And and I think we suffer and we had we've had some discussions in the past regarding the current culture and the climate within duck hunting. And there's a there's definitely an element that it is worried about today and their decoy spread. And, and that's a shame, uh, in a lot of ways, just because, you know, we're trying to perpetuate a sport that, that I don't know, some may say it's a little bit fragile. Ducks are a little bit fragile right now, uh, with, with conditions that have been on the prairie pothole region the last four or five years and the pressure that we're putting on them and everything else that we're, that the game of fish is making a decision to play the long game. And I, and I think that's what you're seeing in, 99% of the cases with private ground too. Uh, so, you, you know, the, the public land hunter seems to have a, a, I don't know, jealous, jealousy, I guess is the right word, but uh, you know, very envious of, of private land and what they're able to do, but it, you're taking the responsibility to try to manage state owned assets the same. So, you know, we'll have this for, for, for anybody to access uh, for the long term, which is which is big, right? And and when people just kind of start with the highest level question of of what are y'all doing, what what's your goal here? It's it's plain and simple. We just want what's best for Dave Donaldson in the long term. Um, and if you look at at you know what we're trying to do at Dave Donaldson, at Biomeda, at Hurricane Lake Wildlife Management Area, Showery Bay, Petagene, all of our big GTRs, we're trying to dig, we're trying to dig ourselves out of this forest health problem that we have, where we've been artificially uh, um, inundating the these forests with 
water um, well before the growing season is over. Um, and we've been doing that for decades. And then when you look in, you know, how private lands do it, well, the difference between what we're up against and what a lot of private clubs are up against is, you know, at Dave Donaldson, we have 14,000 acres, 7,000 of which is, uh, you know, exclusively managed as GTRs. At Baumita, we have a 30,000 acre wildlife management area uh, with a, I don't know, roughly 750,000 acre watershed. Um, so, you know, successful conservation is always a long-term game and it doesn't look any, any different whatsoever with GTRs. So I, I want to kind of touch on something you just said, because I think some listeners will hear it and, and maybe take it out of context or I'll highlight it and spin it a different way. And what you're saying is that you're the, the Arkansas Game Fish is focused on the health of Dave Donaldson and these other GTRs that we're talking about. So a lot of guys are going to sit there and say, oh, I told you they don't care about you. And that's that's not what you're saying by by doing this work and taking this on the chin, if you will you do care about them. You're willing to make the hard choices to preserve these places for the future, not just tomorrow, not just what in our decoy spread this week, but long-term. And that's not, uh, I, I commend you for that. The first time we ever met, uh, we were in Stuttgart and you were kind of laying this out to us. And I felt like we definitely had the right man for the job who was willing to make tough decisions. So I want to kind of clarify that for all the listeners out there. Uh, it is not that they don't care. It's quite the opposite. Yeah, that's exactly right, Case. And, and I, I said this um, last week. I've said it a hundred times. We're not trying to conserve the timber resource at, at these GTRs just for the sake of saving trees. Uh, this is about the sport. This is about the tradition. This is about the way of life that so many of us waterfowlers enjoy that revolves around duck hunting and for people like me, public land duck hunting. And uh, I think what I told you that day in Stuttgart over two years ago was, uh, do we want to sit our kids, on our grandkids on our knees and tell them what Biomeda was like or Dave Donaldson or Hurricane or any other ones? Or do we want to hear them tell us what it's like for them? That's right. So <clears throat> with that being said, let's let's jump into a little bit of the the science of it, if you will, or some of the questions that are out there. You know, I hear people talk about dormancy in trees. So I'm a little bit of a tree nerd, growing a lot of stuff from from acorns, seedlings. Uh, I, I love the reforestation side of it. But I hear this a lot, uh, especially some other people say that, you know, the trees are dormant. They go dormant at 38 degrees. But that's not true. And there's really no agreement as to when exactly a tree goes dormant. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Uh, there's no consensus on when exactly that happens, what role water inundation plays in that, uh, whether air temperature matters more or soil temperature matters more. Uh, if we look at some of the naturally occurring flooded timber in Arkansas, like on the white and the cache, uh, we can say with a pretty high level of certainty that if you look back over 100, 200 years, when does that first big natural inundation happen? You know, second, third week of December. All right. So dormancy is probably at some time before that. We're doing some research right right now with the folks down in Monticello to better understand that. But uh, we think that 
that soil temperature is going to be the driving factor. But in the meantime, you know, we know that even though we've moved back Arkansas game and fish flooding dates from October 15th to November 15th, that on November 15th, we are 100% still inundating trees that are not dormant yet. Um, and the adverse impact that has on those trees is only more pronounced in drought years like this year when hunters are actually asking for water sooner and understandably so. Um, but we're really looking forward to getting that research done so that we can better understand uh, just how much pressure we're putting on um, our forest health by flooding them early. Well, I think that's important to note. Uh, you, you take a drought year like this year, for example, and you see you see those oak trees dropping their leaves early in the fall. And I think most people assume, oh, they're going dormant. They're dropping their leaves. That is not correct. They are under stress. That's why they're dropping those leaves. And to inundate them even earlier just adds to that stress. Um, I think that's missed on a lot of people that maybe don't know those facts. So uh, I'll keep going here. Another thing that I hear a lot, um, you know, is kind of what what are your goals? And you hear I hear people complain about, well, if the goal is, you know, red oak generation, then why aren't they planting seedlings? Why aren't they doing this? And I think <clears throat> some people would rather see dollars spent on container grown trees being hand planted out there. But I think maybe, maybe a lot of people don't understand the different growth rates between natural regeneration, bare root seedling, container grown trees, like you, you different levels of trees or size of trees will kind of stunt as they are planted. So you can go out and plant a seven gallon or 15 gallon container tree, and it's going to sit there almost dormant for a couple of years before it starts to grow. But it, expand on that a little bit. If if the goal is red oak generation, why aren't those practices being done? Well, the short answer is uh, if we're going out and we're, we're hand planting trees somewhere, then that's a bad news story. And the reason for that is that uh, if we're if we're hand planting trees, that means that, that the forest health there got to such a bad state that it would not regenerate on its own. With proper forest management, that's keeping water off off the trees during the growing season, uh, and getting sunlight on the floor, making sure that those forests uh, aren't too dense. A um, a healthy red oak predominant forest will regenerate much, much better than we can simply by going out there planting trees. Now, um, that requires forest management, which we do, not near to the level that people think we do, but we do. And that also requires us to get the water levels right. Um, we talk about sheet flow a lot. Uh, sheet flow is this notion of stagnant water versus water that is even very slowly moving across trees root systems that sheet flow is very uh, important for two reasons number one um, it has oxygen in the water when it's moving over those root systems and so it's not nearly as uh, harmful to the red oaks when they're sheet flow versus uh, stagnant water the other thing is and this is more to your question Kason, uh seedlings will not survive stagnant water. So if we don't have the water level management that we need to, and we're uh, holding water to the point that it becomes stagnant and anoxic, then we can plant all the seedlings that we want, and it's going to kill them every single year that we have stagnant water. 
So what does this look like? Well, if you go to Hurricane Lake Wildlife Management Area, we completed um, phase one of our renovation there, um, the end of 2021. That looked like us going into the southern GTR there and removing some of the slew plugs that separated that southern GTR uh, from the Little Red River. We removed some of those slew plugs. Um, we did some forest management and we're proud to say this summer that that GTR was drier than it had been in decades. Uh, and then we went in, we went in behind them and we, uh, we planted roughly 40,000 red oaks this year. So we are, we, um, are planting red oaks, but, but we would like to, to not get to that point. Gotcha. Interesting. Well, on all this stuff, I mean, all the stuff that, that we're doing to, to the GTRs and, you know, there's, there's the deforestation, there's forestation, there's change in water flow. Are we, why has it come to a head so much, you know, here in the last handful of years? Um, I mean, were we, were we doing it wrong for the sake of the hunter? Are we doing it wrong? Cause we didn't know any better. We've learned a lot more since what, what has led us kind of led us to this point? Cause this, I mean, there's a lot going on. I mean, you're spending millions of dollars trying to to get these things right um is is it just a modern day now we we know so much more or, or do we have a different focus back in the day that's a great question brett um i think it's a handful of things number one we don't know near the amount or we didn't know near the amount about red oak health that we do now uh and a lot of that's been driven by uh us watching these green tree reservoirs change over the past 50, 60, 70 years. Um, so that's the first part of it. I think the second part of it is once we realized that we did have a problem, uh, you know, the commissioners and also the hunting public uh, recognized the problem, but then also held out a fair bit of optimism thinking maybe this is going to get better. Maybe next year we won't have the rainfall that that we did. Maybe next year we'll have lower river uh, river levels. Uh, and I think that's where we were for some time. And then the third thing is we are just getting fundamentally an amount of rainfall in the growing season that we didn't have 50, 60 years ago. I mean, not, not only is a lot of the infrastructure at these GTRs simply past it, its life cycle because it's 60, 70 years old. It was just to not designed to handle the weather that we're seeing right now. Yeah. Because I did, I did two of the, by meta tours, you know, my, my camp, my, my little farm is um, very close to upper value. Uh, we're just a couple of miles North of Hallowell. So uh, back when this kind of was, you know, game fish was really building momentum to start addressing these things, making the public aware of what's going on and, and, and everything, which I was of interest And this. I think this is an important point to make, you know, I could sit here and say, you know, I don't hunt public land. So why is this such a, why is it such a big deal or why should I worry about it? But truth be told, when ducks get up and push out of anywhere close to any of our wildlife management areas, the, the private land around it's going to benefit. I mean, almost all of them have rest areas that that, uh, that attract a whole lot of ducks. So it was of interest to me to go and look. And and I, I, I recall, you know, one of the one of the pieces they showed us was one of the water control structures that, I mean, was just fundamentally flawed it was it was out of the channel so the water had to kind of snake around to even get to it and then you you know if a big 
push a water cane, which by me obviously can catch a lot uh, with the the sizable watershed that it is. But it manually takes somebody to go down there and 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 either close the gates, lift the gates, all of that. Um, so you know, modernizing this makes all the sense in the world. But um, you know, I, it's just one of those one of those things we got to take on, and it's, it's going to be there's going to be a little pain uh, to it. But if you think about it, there there's there's some pain on the private side too. So uh, it's not the same. And I'm not trying to say that, you know, private land guys got it tough, but sometimes we take on projects that set us, set a field aside, set a, set an area, most soils unit aside. So uh, sometimes you just got to bite the bullet and that's, that seems like that's kind of where we are. Um, Yeah. And I'm glad that you mentioned that about, you know, this, this public land, private land kind of dichotomy that that we have it shouldn't be like that and i am very sympathetic for for some of the reasons that we find it tempting to be like that uh but the private land guys around dave donaldson around hurricane around biomeda uh around you know black swamp they depend on healthy public lands and uh if you if you look at the contiguous acres of bottom one hardwoods that we have in Arkansas for all the talk that we have about the flyway supposedly shifting. If we start losing a hundred thousand acres of bottom one hardwoods, that's anchor habitat that's going away. And that will 100% uh, change the flyway. And so uh, this is not a public land versus private land, uh, you know, debate here. It's 100% about what is in the long-term best interest of just these GTRs of Arkansas duck hunting and the flyway that the ducks depend on. The Standard Sportsman Podcast is brought to you by the following sponsors. Waterfowl hunters deserve to have a set of waders that can excel year in and year out throughout the duration of the season. So Sika Gear set out to build the best pair of waders ever. Constructed from Gore-Tex Pro Laminate, the face fabric offers added durability and is breathable in active working conditions while completely sealing out the elements. Importantly, they proudly stand behind all of their Delta Zip waiter features with their 100% serviceable guarantee. And I'm speaking from experience as I have sent my original pair of Sika waiters from the 2018 season back twice without a hiccup. Engineered to outwork, outlast, and outhunt everything else in the market, the Delta Zip waiter from Sika Gear is the gold standard for reliability. The Chatham Jacket from Tom Beckby features a durable, weatherproof, 8-ounce wax shelter cloth shell that develops a great-looking patina with use. I've actually worn this jacket the last couple of seasons and appreciate the shorter cut to it so it fits great inside my waders. It's also a really good weight for most Arkansas days of field. So if you'd like to mix a little vintage look with your technical gear waders, this is the jacket. You can find the jacket online at TomBeckby.com. You can also find it in their brick-and-mortar locations in Wilson, Arkansas, Birmingham, Alabama, and the new store in Oxford, Mississippi. Well, I'm, I'm glad you both brought that up because that's something you hear all the time. That Oh, man, the private guys are loving this. You know, they're going to try to take all the ducks. And I just, as someone who hunts and manages private, I, I don't, I'm not celebrating the lack of or damage of habitat or any of that. Um, we need every bit of it, and we need it all to be managed really well. So... Uh, at least that you got two private guys who are saying that that they're not excited to at the idea of something being worse. We we want it all to be better. Uh, so 
I think from there, let's let's get over into the funding side of Arkansas Game and Fish. I know there's a lot of noise about the one eighth cent tax. So let's kind of jump into it. Can you explain how that started or, or where that came from? Sure. So the conservation sales tax was um, originally proposed by Governor Mike Huckabee, uh, and it was passed by the people of Arkansas in 1996, and it levies a uh, one-eighth of one-cent sales tax um, on all transactions in Arkansas, and 45% of that comes to the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission. Uh, The intent behind the funding then, and certainly how we use it now, is for dedicated funding for conservation uh, in addition to what we get from the feds and from license sales. So it is not earmarked just to purchase land, as some believe. Absolutely not. Nope. Okay. And frequently, uh, the way that that we use the conservation sales tax uh, the most is uh, anytime we have uh, money available from the feds, uh, the conservation sales tax um, forms our match. Uh, so we get 75, uh, 75, 25 match from the feds through, uh, Pittman Robertson dollars. And we use the conservation sales tax funding as our, as our state dollars for that match. Okay. Um, you just knocked out a bunch of the questions I had. So thank you for that. <laughs> Expedite this process. I've got one more for you because we hear this a lot and I know, I know the number, uh, you've given it to me, but for our listeners out there that don't know, what percentage of the Arkansas Game of Fish budget is made up of dollars from our revenue from logging? So last fiscal year, um, our total revenue was $122 million and our uh, our timber revenue was $263,000. Um, yeah, so roughly 0.2%. 0. 0. If if we are trying to monetize the agency through timber, <laughs> you're doing a bad job. Yeah, yeah, and, there, and there's another mis. I think there's another misconception out there too re- related to the logging that you know one, it's not very much money. Um, nobody's um, funding too much off of that. But I think there's a misconception about what happens to the money from logging. So. Um, why don't you maybe explain that? You know, when trees are logged off of hurricane, what happens to that money when you sell that timber? Yeah, that that's a great question. So when we go in to do forest management on one of um, our wildlife management areas, and it's a very small amount, I think in the past uh, 15 years at, at Dave Donaldson, we've had only two timber sale contracts for a total of uh, r- roughly 2.3% of the wildlife management area. Uh, those funds are required by federal law through the Pittman, through the Pittman, through the Pittman Robertson Act to then go back into the wildlife management area system. So it's not like we're taking that money and I don't know, putting it in our pockets or something like that. It's, uh, it's, it, it's referred to as programmatic income by the feds and, uh, it goes back into the wildlife management area system. Wait, you mean that there's oversight? You can't just do whatever you want to? There's lots of oversight, Casey. I am shocked. I'm shocked to find this out. Yeah, I listened. I listened to the uh, 
you know your follow up to the to the Black River deal, and it, we didn't really expand too much on that. But you know what happened in that commission meeting? Luke Naylor gets up and makes a presentation. Someone took a slide out of context, blew up social media with it, um, and that it kind of ignited, fanned the flame of all the game of fish haters to to come out of the woodwork and and hammer away and question people's qualifications, question what happens with money, um, and that oversight piece that you just can do whatever you want, whenever you want. And I mean, I even saw one, I even saw a post and I hate to even give the person credit, but, um, I think it was on, somebody sent it to me on TikTok. I'm not on TikTok, but somebody sent me the link to it and the guy, and I think he was serious or halfway serious the the game and fish was intentionally not flooding the woods, so the public basically so the public land hunter had no place to hunt. And I've seen it commented, you know that the, the, this forces you know the public land hunter to have to hire outfitters because they want the you know the revenue base and the tax base. You know, There's all these crazy theories, but um, yeah. I'm glad to see you know the, the truth to some of this. And and I'm not trying to say this that we're lobbing softballs at Austin and and. Uh, and you know, letting him, uh, you know, kind of paint a different picture. The picture he's painting is the truth and, and the reality of all this. And 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 I'm not saying that the game of fish has made every right move in the uh, in the history of time. And and Austin will admit it, and so will people within the agency that that you know they've had some misses, um, kind of like we all do. <laughs> you know, I've yeah. I've had misses in my job. So, yeah. um, you know, I, I do I do appreciate your willingness and for, and, and I think the current commission, um, the, you know, these last, I don't know, a handful of years have really done a good job of being accessible. I know that was taken to task on another podcast, uh, that you call there and nobody answers the phone you call there. Nobody calls you back. Um, I, I know commissioners have been accessible. You are extremely accessible. Um, and, and even got, uh, in the middle of it all with a Facebook post. So, uh, yeah. why, why is that an important piece to you? Well, because if you look at the number of challenges we have, we got a long way to go, Brent. And, uh, I've said for a while now that conservation is only as good as its people. Uh, and by people, I'm not just talking about the people at the Arkansas Game Fish Commission. I'm talking about all of us as as sportsmen uh and so you're right we've had some misses um and we're gonna do better and we and when i say we now i am talking about the people at this agency and the commissioners too we uh recognize the need to be transparent and accountable that's why there's an accountability page on our website where you can look at our financial audits, where you can look at uh, our annual reports with our revenue, with our top expenses. Uh, we know that we got a long ways to go um, and we want people's support doing it. Um, and so, yeah, you're, you have all the accessibility from me that you can want in the world. And um, we're, we're going to be doing more public meetings because we don't want to do anything to the public. We want to do everything that we do with the public, uh, and that is not going to change as long as I'm here. Yeah, well, I think it's worth noting. <clears throat> I mean, our Internet sleuths are going to figure it out that obviously we're all friends, but 
But Brent and I serve a purpose for you as well on these councils. And that's kind of the purpose of those committees is to be able to kind of be a conduit from the commission to the public and back and forth, which is all about being transparent and accessible. And that's your goal. And I think, I don't think you get enough credit for that. Uh, I think you're doing a really good job and that's, uh, and we're happy to help with that because it's more important now than ever, because it, to your point, and I, I, I like it every time you say it, it's only as good as the people and the complaining and spreading false information and mudslinging, you know, all this stuff is, it's not helpful. It's not going to protect the resource. It's not going to ensure that our grandkids are out here hunting and doing the, the participating in the sport that we all love. So. Right. And, and I, I do want to add that, that when I first talked to you and Brent about the advisory council, uh, I expressly said that we were not interested in a whole bunch of people to sit at the table and tell us how great the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission is. No. Um, and so when people say like, oh, Austin, when you think about misinformation, you're really just saying about people complaining. No, no. Uh, we sincerely want to hear people's complaints. Uh, we sincerely want to hear what's on people's minds. Uh, the number of landowners that we've met with just since we had our commission meeting in Dave Donaldson, um, sorry, not landowners, but, but sportsmen that enjoy Dave Donaldson that have come to us and said, Hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? Uh, th- that's been awesome. And so we will never, um, stand in front of people and say, we have all the answers and we're right 100% of the time. Uh, we're going to ask for input and we mean it. Well, you have to get it. I mean, that's a, you know, you see that it's a common critique that, that the, you know, the, the commissioners aren't, they're making decisions on about public land and they don't, but they don't hunt public land, but I promise you, they, they get their ear bent on it pretty good to the, to the point they got to feel. And, and, and yeah, I mean, you, you just said it, I said it. There's been some misses. I mean, you know, you're not not grading a hundred out of a hundred, uh, but that's really difficult to do, um, especially when you're dealing something as as crazy as ducks. I mean, it's um, and wildlife in general, but ducks are really crazy because they don't live here all the time. Um, they're obviously very transient uh, from one end of the one end of the uh, the continent to the other. So it's. Um, it's tough. It's it's not an easy job, and and you know we got a lot of amateur foresters in the in the, in the ranks uh, in the duck hunting world, and we got <laughs> we got a lot of uh, a lot of opinions, which is great. I mean that's that's you know get that's what this country's built on things like that. But um, it, it's running that agency and and operating that agency because it, it it just covers so many things that are very very difficult, and you're at the whim of Mother Nature a lot. Things you can't control and all that, but I'm glad you brought that up about the the public and private division. Um, I mean, I truly, I, I truly feel like that that the there's a contingency of the public land that just thinks they have to be antagonistic um, a lot of the time, and and it and it really doesn't have to be that way. Um, I've had plenty reach out to me because this advisory council role uh, with input and, and takes or making me aware of something 
um because i've got i've got one to bring up on on uh, uh point remove in that, that area that um that i heard about from from last year on the last weekend of the season just some crazy stuff that was going on but um you know you you definitely build a network and you hear about these things and i just wish some of some of the people that do have an axe to grind would find a, a strategy besides social media uh, we talk on this show all the time about the the pitfalls of that in in waterfowling and um i'd really like to see that use the conduits that are available to you your accessibility the advisory council's accessibility and constructively find ways to to make things make the commission aware that um hey man this is what what we're seeing this is what we're feeling this is what we're seeing and hearing and and all that and i think we'll get better decisions and everybody feel like they have a a, a hand in it that's absolutely right brent and you know we, we uh you know we do our monthly commission meetings um quarterly we we do them on the road and uh you know we did our um our November commission meeting in Jonesboro because we wanted to go see the people in Northeast Arkansas and, and it was great. And we wouldn't be doing that uh, if we didn't want to hear from people. Um, people are always welcome to come to our commission meetings, whether they're in Little Rock or out on the road. Those, uh, those dates and locations are, are on our website. And I, I would just throw this out there too, since it's right around the corner, we're going to enter a reg cycle this year. And there will be a public survey that goes out for for that reg cycle. And so uh, if people want um, to weigh in on regs, the best place to do it, the best time to do it is in that reg survey uh, that will come out in February or March. Yeah, that's one thing we, we definitely, we as a hunting community um, have to do a better job of making sure people um, get involved in that survey because that's really i mean that's that's the only way you can truly appeal to the masses but as we found out with last you know the duck season dates um you know not enough people participated or not not as not a, not as much to make a sound decision because you heard you know uh, an opposite view of what the survey said in a strong voice after everybody realized wait a second we're not gonna be open in the week before thanksgiving now um you know, I, I personally think that was the right move for the commission. We can't, and I'm going to say something that probably, I don't know, some people <laughs> may find it to be controversial or whatever, but, but to me, from my point of view, and, and, and you can tell me whether I'm right or wrong, we take that long December split primarily for the public land hunter benefit, allowing it to get water, allowing them to have uh, you know more more days available to them but the, you know there is an element of this of this hunting community that that does have ducks in november and uh, we just we can't set all the dates for all the public land benefit um you know we got several different factions of of hunters to to satisfy and that's why we got to configure these dates the way they do but um you know i i think I think we're probably a long ways off from trying to tackle moving it again, or at least in that regard. I think there's some opportunities. Well, and you can't leave out us trying to accommodate spouses and boyfriends and girlfriends with the Christmas break too. Yeah, sure. Sure. But, uh, you know, at the same time, 
the splits, the splits could benefit the resource a little more. Um, that one's great for, for families and people, but I don't, I don't know that hunting them 51 out of 54 days is what we need to be doing. Um, my personal opinion. Well, um, you and others will have an opportunity to weigh into duck season regs in February or March when the reg survey comes out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but point, point of all that is that's where people need to, to voice, you know, their, their opinions and because that's exactly. the data that the commission is going to take and, and try to make some decisions off of, um, so it's up to us as hunters. It's up to us, uh, you know, people that listen to the podcast. When that survey comes out, the game of fish means it. It's not not just for kicks and giggles. They're they're trying to trying to get some feedback, and we need to be sending it to our friends and and really try to get our friends to fill it out and, and empower the quote unquote the people. Um, and and everybody gets their say, and and that's what y'all can make some sound decisions on. That's right. Yeah, it's it's easy, uh, you know, for a small segment of people that are, are typically pretty vocal and, and pretty uh, plugged into what's going on. It's it's pretty easy for them to to make their voice heard. But as we as we saw with the last survey, <clears throat> there's a, a relatively large segment that that is not that involved, not that plugged in, and kind of missed an opportunity, and then was very vocal afterwards. So this is a, a upcoming chance to to voice those opinions and. Back to something you said earlier, you know, you didn't pick Brent and I to do this, so we pat you on the back and tell you you did everything great. You know that he and I are opinionated about certain species and certain things, just like uh, the the season splits that we're talking about right here. So, uh, again, that's everyone pay attention, look for those, share it with people, get out there, and make your voice heard. Because if you if you want to weigh in, if you want the commission to hear what you are saying then that's where you do it. And that's a great opportunity as are the meetings and anything else. You, you have the opportunity to make yourself heard. It just might not be on Facebook name calling and, and doing all those other things. <laughs> yeah. The, the Facebook rants, I don't think that's getting anybody um, a productive outcome. It's uh, it's just not the, not the place. Uh, and you, you like, like we're talking about, you have the vehicles in place. That's what people need to, to leverage and use. Um, when will that happen? You know, I, I know the, the decisions will be made in May and those decisions will last for the next two years, if I'm correct. Correct. When yeah. will you start that, that process of, I mean, you'll take feedback anytime. I know that, but the, the official survey, when, when will we be looking for that? Uh, that'll probably drop in February. Yeah. And we're going to distribute that um, on our website, on social media, uh, text and email this year. Awesome. So and we, we talked about it a little bit um, and we've kind of moved on. We jumped around a bunch and, and that's fine. I, I like the organic conversation here, but do you, you may not want to answer this. You may not can answer this. Do you have any, any thoughts onto the, the dichotomy of public versus private? Why, what's, what's going on with our culture that we can't all pull the same direction we, we we so easily lose sight that this resource belongs to all of us um and i don't know i, I don't know why it's, it's been that way i guess my entire lifetime it seems like but why is it a us versus them mentality i don't know Kason. uh i spend a lot of time thinking about it and um uh, despite how much i think about it i don't have any good answers yeah. um you know 
if you look at um how just how 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 much time and effort and resources people pour into public land duck hunting um i think it's i think it's awesome uh i mean we have uh lots of people in arkansas many of them are my friends that don't care to hunt privately and they they recognize the challenge of competing people and chasing ducks on public land and i think I think that's awesome. Um, when you look at the private land guys, they're investing time and resources towards the same end, enjoying God's creation and chasing ducks. Uh, but their investment looks a little bit different. And I think there's misunderstanding on both sides about the commitment that each has towards how they chase ducks. Right. I think there's, well, I, you know, I'm mostly a public land duck hunter myself. I don't have a lease. I don't have a club, nothing. And so I'm watching USGS water gauges, just like everybody else trying to figure out where, where I can go and win. Um, and I hear from lots of private land, uh, guys that are just like, Hey, I don't even know why you put up with that stuff, all the fighting, all the boat races and, and they always look at me funny when I tell them, like, hey, it, it's it's not like that. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, I've been in this job for two and a half years now, uh, third duck season as the director. And I have yet to see a single fight, yet to see a single boat race at, at any one of our wildlife management areas. Now, I'm not saying they're not out there, but the perception of public land duck hunters to the private land guys is, uh, is not, is not great. The, the reason that matters is because it creates a disinterest or a divide from the private land guys that's not helpful for the long term kind of shared community, uh, of, of waterfowl hunters in Arkansas. From the public land guys perspective, you know, they, they, we often look at the private land guys as not caring about habitat, lazy, not wanting to do any work. And, uh, I think that, I think that breeds a lot of resentment the other way too. And so like with anything else, there's just a ton of misunderstanding about what the other side's really like, uh, and, it doesn't help anybody. Uh, but, you know, this is a time where, where us as waterfowlers, we have to recognize the, the challenges on the landscape and the sacrifices that it's going to take from private land guys and from public land guys too, uh, to conserve waterfowling in Arkansas. Oh, no question. I mean, there's no doubt the sport needs both. I mean, it's ridiculous to think otherwise. Um, you know, if you get into license sales that, that fund efforts, if you get into Pittman Robertson doll, I mean, even though Pittman Robertson spreads beyond duck hunting, but still, um, you know, in other States are losing hunters hand over fist, uh, you know, with license sales going down, duck stamp sales going down and, and everything else. And we continue to hang in there a little bit, but, uh, I mean, there's no question the, the sport needs both. And, and as I alluded to earlier, I mean, our area is dependent on success 
um, with Habitat on the public ground. So definitely um, a, a fan of that and a need of that. And most of the guys in my little neighborhood where my camp is, given we're only a few miles from Upper Valley, or almost everybody in this neighborhood is a public land guy. So I, you know, I, I get a lot of feedback and a lot of thoughts, share a lot of ideas and and all that. So um, it's it's crazy to think that the sport doesn't need both. And 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 it sh- if we could eliminate the 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 public, I'm a public land hunter. I mean, it, I, and I get it. The public land hunter kind of wears that as a badge. You don't see you don't see. I mean, I saw I heard it. I bet a dozen times at the Delta waterfowl thing this summer, people introduced themselves and they, and they had to throw in that they were a public land duck hunter. Uh, I, I never heard hear you know, <laughs> a, a private land duck hunter introduce themselves and go Brent Birch, private land duck hunter. Um, so, you know, it's, 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 it's interesting. And, uh, and this was in a group discussion with uh, Vista outdoors who makes Remington federal, uh, you know, that does all the shells. And it was a round table talking shot shell uh, stuff. And the guys that hunted public ground introduced themselves as, you know, John Doe, public land duck hunter. Um, so, that, I mean, it's just interesting. If we could eliminate that, that, I think that would go a long ways. We're just duck hunters. Why can't we just be duck hunters? Yeah. And for the guys that wear that as a badge of honor, I get it. Um, I really do. And, you know, I, you know, spent eight years in the United States Marine Corps and hunted public land all up and down the East Coast. Uh, and it's tough. Uh, I understand why they want to wear it as a badge of honor. Uh, yeah. But we got to we got to focus it in the right direction. Uh, that enthusiasm, that passion that drives them to wake up at midnight so they can be at the ramp at two and put in at, at, at four. We got to focus that in the right direction, meaning it needs to be less about the war on ducks and more about conservation versus consumption. And mm-hmm. you've, you've been very vocal about that, Brent. Uh, and, you know, the misunderstanding around what, our plans are with Dave Donaldson have really highlighted that um, a lot of name calling, a lot of insults, a lot of wild accusations on Facebook and then privately, uh, you know, over email, phone calls, uh, you know, whatnot, people reaching out saying, Hey, I'm a public land hunter. You want to see the best thing for Dave Donaldson. That's what I want to see. Have y'all thought about this? Uh, we've seen people reaching out saying, Hey, I'm, I am sorry. I, uh, I totally misunderstood what y'all originally said. I didn't put the work in to, to go validate it. I'm sorry. Here's the, I think y'all should do going forward. We need to see more of that and less of the war on duck, on ducks culture that it's not only, um, unhelpful, but it also drives more of a barrier in between uh, public land duck hunters and people that don't have that mentality. Yeah. That, I mean, that's a, that's a solid point. Uh, yeah. Cause some of that stuff was, I mean, it was ridiculous, uh, you know, question Luke's qualifications, you know, just cause he, he went to school in Kansas that that doesn't make him qualified. I mean, the dude's been in Arkansas, how many years now? 17, I believe. Seven. Yeah. 17. I, I, I imagine he's got a pretty decent feel of, of, uh, of Arkansas, you know, habitat and 
And it, plus, he's got a team full of uh, managers that that that's all they do. Um, so you know, that was just kind of that is kind of an outlandish take to. And and I you know, duck hunters love to be pointing fingers. It's you know, it's somebody's somebody else's fault as to why duck season's not going that great. Um, and so somebody's always a scapegoat. But let let me ask you, uh, you know, as far from an agency perspective on our public hunting land, what is the top one or two issue you see or the agency sees is we've got to get the people using the WMAs to stop doing this or start doing this, you know, whatever it is, but you know, what do y'all, uh, what have y'all identified that, man, we've got to get a grip on this. And I'm not saying we got to get up on grip on this by more regulations or more rules or whatever, but you know, what have y'all identified as, is kind of your, we really need to fix this to improve the public land hunting experience. Yeah. That's a great question. Um, so many times the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission it has an expectation from the public to regulate ethics. And I would say any government agency, but especially one that revolves around hunting and fishing, uh, we're in a a very poor position to do that. Instead, what what's far more effective is we know that 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 hardly anybody that hunts public land hunts by themselves. Uh, the only the only pe- the only person that I know that regularly goes hunts public duck land by themselves um, are a couple guys in the agency. This is a very social sport, and that's one of the reasons why we all love it so much. A much better way for us to. Uh, police public land is for us to do it as a community of waterfowlers. If you see your buddy doing something that's not right, politely, respectfully, whatever you want to call it, uh, tell them that's wrong and that we need to be doing a better job at it. Do it at the launching ramp. Do it while you're waiting in line. Um, we see so many times people want to, uh, wanting to sky bust or crash somebody else's hunt, uh, hunting party or pass another boat in a boat lane. Um, all of that's totally unhelpful, uh, not only for the individual, but also for for the institution of public land duck hunting itself that we're trying to perpetuate in addition to our green tree reservoirs. And nine times out of 10, the people that are doing it have people there with them uh, that can say, hey, let's not do this. And so you asked me what the number one thing I wish that we could wave a magic wand over. It would be creating this conservation ethic in everybody that we need to be focused on the waterfowl community and holding ourselves accountable to what we expect of each other and what we want to see this this awesome sport be. We should be just as focused on that as we are conserving the natural the natural resources. So I'm glad you mentioned ethics, uh, Austin. So it seems like if you go all the way back to the to the 80s and even all the way up to the boat races, you know, every time something is done to correct these ethical things that are going on, the goalposts just move and some other practice becomes commonplace. So one of the things that I've I've been hearing a lot lately 
is that, you know, if they if you guys would pass a first come, first serve rule, it would just fix all this stuff. You know, if we could go back to kicking someone out of our hole, it would fix all these problems. What what do you have to say to that? How would you how would you respond to that? Well, if we had a first come, first serve rule and I I mean, it's an intuitive response to the problem. Uh I totally get the line of thinking that, that as to why that would be helpful. Um, the problem is when it comes down to enforcement for us to have game wardens that enforce that you would essentially have game wardens motoring around the GTRs uh, while everybody's trying to kill ducks. And uh, I think it would be a net negative for the hunting experience uh, because trying to enforce the reg would have more of an impact uh, um, than where we are right now. Well, yeah. you, but, but you talk about game wardens roaming the woods. It is my understanding. Uh, I mean, you and I, you and I have had conversations about black swamp and I'm, I'm assuming some other wildlife management areas suffer from it too, but we we've got an issue with boats roaming the, the woods all day anyway. It's, it sounds like um, that there's a, you know, there's a faction of, of Hunter that's, I don't know, if, you know, they're justifying their, their boat or not killing ducks, shot chasing, whatever the things are. But it seems to be that there is an issue with boat traffic um, versus people settling in hunting and then everybody kind of trickles out of the woods, you know, the same amount of time. There's boats. I don't, you, you wonder if they ever set up any decoys. Yeah, that's, you know, that's one of the tougher things that that we have to address is trying to balance a lack of disturbance on the hunt on the hunter side with also providing opportunity for people to scout uh, and not disturbing ducks, giving them time to rest, getting people off off the GTRs, that that kind of stuff. Uh, We did we did make some changes in the last rig cycle. Um, and it'll be something that we'll be listening for if it's on, if, if it's on people's minds for this upcoming reg cycle. Uh, so kind of on that topic, I know there's been some, some issue or, or, you know, legislation regarding stock exhaust and these other items. Uh, is that anything that's, that's on y'all's radar to maybe further address, um, what, what people complain about the noise of, of scouting on those other activities? Well, the last reg cycle, we implemented uh, a reg that basically said whether it's an an outboard motor or a surface drive that aftermarket exhaust uh, were prohibited. Uh, We gave people a year to comply with that before we implemented it for this duck season. And again, that'll be an area where, you know, pun intended here, we're going to listen to the public and see whether they've noticed a difference in the noise on our wildlife management areas. Yeah. I feel like that might be a, a tough thing to really enforce uh, as well-intended as it is, uh, unless every enforcement agent knows uh, every single model and what's what's factoring, what's not, that'd be a tough one to deal with. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm trying to think of, of Something else I've got. I feel like uh, we've covered most of the stuff that I wanted to get into today. Brent, you have anything else? No, I mean, no, not that's going to allow um, 
Austin to make his his next call. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we we could talk on topics all day long, um, sure. obviously, because I mean, duck hunting means. I know it means a lot to the three of us, and there's a hundred thousand people that enjoy the sport. Uh, maybe not the same level, but you know, every level in between. So, you know, it's a hot topic. And, and for a lot of people, this season is off to a little bit of a sluggish start. Um, you know, we're, we're still waiting on some sizable rainfall and definitely waiting on some colder weather. So, um, you know, not, not all those things are the, under the purview of the game of fish commission, unless you have the ability to create rain. And I wish we did send cold fronts, <laughs> send cold fronts hurling this way, but, uh, you know, uh, just it's top of mind with a lot of people. It sent, tends to be top of mind when it's when it's tough because you got a lot of time to think about it. <laughs> it seems like, yeah. Um, well, I think that's something we lose sight of, right? We talk about the hundred thousand. You know, it's easy to to look at it as us versus them, or, or however we want to talk about it. But we forget that as bad as this season may be at this point, as dry as it is, and all the things we're facing, we are still out there participating in the sport we're still pulling the trigger you know we're, we're hunting and we're shooting guns and there's a lot of people in this country who want to take that away from us so we have got to start pulling in the same direction amen uh brent you want to take us out sure sure well austin we uh, definitely appreciate your time i know you're a busy guy and got another call to take and and talk about probably some of these same things we talked about earlier in the show um uh, but uh you know we'll definitely look for opportunities to have you on again um and not always hopefully not always a situation where we're you know trying to figure out where's reality and what's the truth line between what you hear and what people think and broadcasts and what you know the game of fish is actually trying to to push through so uh we'll definitely look for those opportunities to you know maybe talk about some stuff besides rules and regs um because that's uh <laughs> I know that's a you know you love you love duck hunting you love deer hunting uh, definitely an outdoorsman um, in all regards so we'll we'll look for those chances. I look I look forward to it, guys, and thanks for having me. Yep, thank you. All right, see y'all. Yep. All right, everybody. That's another episode of the Standard Sportsman. We appreciate you listening. Uh, of course, you can find the podcast uh, on all of your podcast channels. Uh, you can find us on social media at the Standard Sportsman and the website www.thestandardsportsman.com We'll catch you next time. Thanks. Light boots. The lightest pair of knee boots you're ever going to find. Weighed in at just 13 ounces each. Putting on a pair of light boots is truly a jaw-dropping experience. Yeti. From the legendary hard coolers to the new barware series, Yeti has you covered. Or check out one of my favorite new products from them, the Loadout Series Go Box. Yeti. Built for the wild.